trying to figure out what basketball players showed up during wrestling. Okay. Someone who listens to this podcast probably watches AEW Dynamite. As we record this, it is Wednesday, April 13th. And a couple different people that I follow were tweeting about how bad the ending of AEW Dynamite was this week. You should have known this was going to happen. You should have known. And they, like, I guess... They wheeled out some basketball player, but literally no one is tweeting who. I just want to know, who did they wheel out? Did LeBron James show up at AEW Dynamite? I don't fucking know. Everybody's tweeting about how good the Samoa Joe match was and how they're upset that, like, the the ending of the show was bad. But no one's saying who was there because you all watch the show. You don't need to say it. But I'm not watching the show. I don't actually watch wrestling. I just want to know who the fuck was there. So if you listen to Ornate Stairwells and you know whatever celebrity basketball player whatever showed up at the end of AEW Dynamite on Wednesday, April 13th, please respond in the Discord or something. Because I got to know, it's driving me nuts that no one will fucking say Anthony Davis was at (laughs) AEW Dynamite. Uh, right before you were getting like visibly distressed by this, looking at your phone, you're making fun of my choice in candy. So this is yeah. just what tonight is. Yeah. Um. Anyway, hi everybody. Welcome to our Nate Stairwells, a podcast where we watch every movie released in 1973 in Japan. Um. I'm Autumn, and I'm joined as always by Neve. I like salty licorice. That's what Autumn was making fun of me for. I like salty licorice. Uh huh. It's good. I don't like licorice generally. No. And that you, you keep trying to get me to like licorice, and it's not going to happen. You liked that one that was like the like raspberry and whatever. Yeah, because there was more fruit than licorice. Yeah, and also, also it was called Vampire's Kiss, and you thought that was a great name for licorice. So I used to have a lipstick called Vampire's Kiss. I'm pretty sure it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, so we missed a week. Yeah. Um, I guess like with, without going to a lot of details, but I feel like this is somewhat pertinent to like what this episode is. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, we both like had independent mental health weeks. Yeah. Uh, in like different ways. Totally different ways. Um, but that meant that like, we just didn't have any time to like watch a movie, let alone record. Yeah. Um, It was just like, it was rough out here and I'm, I won't get into what the mental health stuff was because I don't want to, but like there was just a lot of different like ghosts in the shell. I read ghosts in the shell. There was a lot of different like mental health stuff going on. It was just rough. Yeah. So we missed a week. Yeah. Um, I haven't updated the spreadsheet at all. Yeah. I watched two movies. One of which I assume had stairs in them. 
Probably. Yeah. Wait, you watched two movies. One doesn't count. Okay. Oh, is that the Conan one? I watched three movies. Okay. Um, I I will get it in here at some point. Okay. Uh, right now it's not in the spreadsheet, but do you want to just go down your three movies? Because oh well, so the the other thing that I just wanted to say at the top. So so I guess like the the most I'll say, I had like multiple just things that mm-hmm. were weighing on me. Um, but some of them, including just like shit with Howard Brown right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like the my. Uh, endo left and then like I got a new doctor and my first appointment with him was like bad mm. but that was in like December and then every interaction with him since was like kind of negative mm-hmm. and so then finally I like kind of stood up and I was like hey I don't know why you're just like treating me this way all the time and mm. then I just got like messages back from like oh I've helped hundreds of trans patients and I'm like celebrated by organization which is a really bad way to respond yeah. to a trans person that you're like helping saying that they felt like unsafe and uncomfortable yeah. with you is to yeah. like cite your bona fides so yeah um but yeah so that combined with other things just left me feeling like uh particularly like rattled and Mm -hmm. in a place where it was just like hard for me mentally to feel safe Mm -hmm. um which means that like i do really want to watch aquarius i'm not punting on this to be to be uh mean to joe anymore i'm punting on it to be mean to joe don't worry i've got your back for for my part it's just like if I had to watch something, if I had to watch a movie for the very first time and then have like cogent takes on it in a podcast, I just couldn't do that right now. Yeah. Especially because also like tonight is the only night that we can record because pretty soon I'm going to like Michigan for the weekend for my mother-in-law's birthday. Mm-hmm. And I guess also Easter, but that's, yeah, it's more because it's her birthday. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we watched two Japanese films from 1973. Both of them I've seen before. One of them I've seen multiple times and one I've only seen once. Yeah. Um, and I just felt far more comfortable being like, yeah, I can get on a podcast and be like kind of tired and still know all the thoughts that I have about like Jitsuroku and like exploitation cinema that came out of like previous genres. So yeah. That's why we're here. That's why. And I just decided to do a double feature. So like, I really yeah. don't know if I want to spend two episodes on both of these movies. Yeah. I adore both these movies. Um, I don't know that I have like thoughts enough about either of them to fill up an episode. I don't mm. know if I have thoughts enough about both of them together to fill up an episode. Well, but it's like, fine. The reason we're... why I put them together, we'll, we'll get to this, but is that like genres went through a change there's like a a point Uh around 1972 1973 Mm -hmm. where like these like stage true genres were like trying to like shake things up a little bit more Mm -hmm. and i feel like this is like an oversimplification but these two movies kind of chart like different directions that this kind of stuff went yeah because i think both of these actually like you know Battles Without is far more directly Yakuza, but both of them are kind of coming out of this, like, Yakuza, Jidaigaki mm. kind of, like, lineage. Right, totally. Um, and specifically, I think, kind of the stuff that's, like, not about, like, samurai, blah, 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 but about, like, common people or Yakuza or things like that. Yeah. And how that's, like, getting reinterpreted, so. But before we get anyway, to that. Yeah. You have three movies. 
that I don't imagine you're going to have a ton to say about because you podcast about two of them. So why don't you go through your three movies? And I know that two of my movies I are, are very quick. Like, I don't fucking care. Like, how about we do? I do the two that I've already podcasted about. You do the two quick and then I can do. Okay. You'll, yeah. yeah just to mix it up a little bit more. Yeah, totally. So the, the two, I actually watched Ghost in the Shell 2017. Um, I think before, like, I forget exactly when I watched it in the timeline. Um, I think it was like when we did episode 39. Mm-hmm. I had already watched it. Um, if not, it was definitely by episode 40, but I just wanted to like kind of keep the, we were doing that for, for, um, ghost divers a secret. Um, mostly, I mean, like ostensibly it was because, haha, it's like the April fool's fun thing that we did. Um, but really the reason why like Connor and I continue to talk about it and be like, no, let's just do this. This way was uh, if we recorded it and really didn't like the episode, we could just not release it, and nobody <laughs> knew that we were doing it except for the few people we told. So, um, but yeah, people can go and listen to that. And the, I liked the, the episode. Scene. Yeah, it's not my favorite episode you've done, but I liked it. Yeah, I mean, part of it too is it was a trial run of like, at some point we will probably watch anime that neither of us have seen before. Mm. Can we still have a good conversation about something that we like don't like? Yeah. Um, and this is something where it was like, okay, we feel like we have enough material because we care about Ghost in the Shell as like a, a series uh-huh. to talk about this. Um, but we also kind of went into it knowing that we would probably not like the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of surprised by how much I hated the movie because I tried to go in with like an open mind of like, let me like look for what's interesting here. And I just continually was disappointed by it. So I don't recommend anyone see it. I don't remember any stairs in it. There probably were, but um, I was too busy just like hating it, being upset about how racist and orientalist it was. So um, F, I guess. Um, and then we also did uh, this one. This episode is not going to be out for a while. Um, cause we're going to go through all the second gig first, but all that second gig stuff has been recorded. Um, we did solid state society, the, the standalone complex movie. Um, I really enjoyed that movie. I'll save like people can have, see more thoughts there when, when we get to it for, uh, ghost divers. But, um, yeah, it was like, especially after second gig, which is something that I'm kind of down on. It was like. Oh yeah, this is. I'm glad that I've like watched this now after watching Second Gig and knowing this is a thing that like came out after Second Gig because it reminded me of like why I like Ghost in the Shell, which is that like some of it is still a little stupid, but like it's just like fun police procedural stuff and there's like interesting things that they're talking about. And it doesn't matter if intentionally or not they are talking about the failures of neoliberalism. It is a movie about the failure of imagination that exists in neoliberalism that right. says like, well, the only option is fascism or all these kids go back to their abusive homes. Those are the only two things we can envision because anything else would require like radical restructuring of the state. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we can't do that. Yeah. God um, forbid. So there are lots of stairs in it, um, but most of them are just like concrete stairs. Uh, often, like if you imagine like outside of big public buildings where there'd be the concrete stairs that like kids would probably be skateboarding on, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of those. And it'll just be like a like helicopter style shot of like some Tachi comas like f- running down the stairs real quick because they're chasing some guy. Um, there is a, a bit of a fight that happens on the stairs with uh, a tank in the major, 
Um, and it's going real bad until the tank goes out into the open, which is a dumb move because now the major can jump on top. Um, but also this major is like more ostensibly better at, at hacking than the 1995 one. So she just hacks the tank and then is able to tear tear off the top instead of <laughs> like having to rip her arms. So um, I love her. I love her. She sucks so much. I love her. God, she's the worst. <laughs> um, so I give it a D minus. I could like maybe push this up to a C minus, but or a D plus. I can maybe push it up to a C minus, but um, like it's mostly just concrete stairs, and you don't get like a good shot of the stairs hmm. when um the tank fight and stuff. So yeah, go <clears throat> listen to Ghost Divers. What are your two? So my two that I'm one. I actually am actively not going to talk about the first the first is um conan o'brien can't stop uh which is a documentary about conan o'brien um and his ex- uh experiences leaving the tonight show uh with an ian okay um um i have a podcast that you can go pay five dollars to listen to um, and you should because the episode we did was really good i think it turned out really well, uh, but, like, we watched that movie and podcasted pretty immediately, which means that, like, a movie that I just thought was not very interesting, all thoughts of it have just fallen out of my brain. Yeah. I do not you remember that You did the podcast, movie. you, like, you have no need Nothing. to remember anything. <laughs> yeah. Um. Um, and then the other one, um... So, so, okay. I want to... This has, like, maybe a little more meat on the bone than I thought, but still not a ton. I watched... Are you familiar with um, 30 for 30? I don't think so. ESPN does a documentary series called 30 for 30. This is Um, why I'm not familiar. Yeah. (laughs) Where they they deep dive into, like, various sports things. Like, oh, this big game. Or or, or, um, this, like particular player and his um rise and fall or something um and i watched in particular so so a part of the reason that i have not watched any hardly any i shouldn't say any part of the reason i have not watched hardly any movies lately is like um march madness happened and and my jayhawks uh won the national title for the first time since i was 12 years old um (laughs) bill self now one of the very few uh, active coaches with two uh, championships, so very excited about that. Um, I don't really follow college basketball anymore, but like that got me all excited because I watched that game and I was so happy. And then like you know, right as that game was happening, the NBA regular season was winding down, so I watched a couple like regular season games. I am I I am skipping watching. Hawks Charlotte, I think, or, mm. or Hawks Hornets, um, to, to record this. I'm being very brave and cool right now to not be watching that because I do want to know how the play in tournament goes. Um, but I, I've just been very sports brained, <laughs> you yeah. know. Baseball opening day happened, and so I've been listening to baseball podcasts. Haven't watched any baseball yet, but I'm going to. Um, anyway, 30 for 30. Um, I don't even remember how I stumbled on this, but um, they did an episode. I say an episode, 
one episode of 30 for 30 was an hour and 45 minute like documentary about um, John Calipari, who is like um, a, a guy who um, is a controversial figure in the world of college sports. If I saw John Calipari in the streets, I'd fucking sock him. I hate that man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would, I would, I would end his life. <laughs> I would not do that, but, um, I would say very mean things to John Calipari if I saw him. Um, uh, crucially John Calipari, um, defeated us in, defeated my Jayhawks in the 2012 national championships, uh, for his first and only title, which makes him an objectively worse coach than Bill Self. Anyway, um, <laughs> Was the name of this one One and Not Done? One and Not Done, yes, thank you. Okay. You've there... been talking, I've just been like trying to look this up to to put in credits. Yeah. So um I did thought I thought this was a kind of interesting documentary, um, because um John Calipari is a incredibly controversial figure in the world of college basketball. Um like people uh who he's coached for like, like players that he's coached for love him. Um, and, um, obviously Kentucky fans love him. He's very successful as a coach. Um, but, um, you know, um, him being successful as a coach means that like me, like, like a person of a fan of like one of his rivals, I fucking hate that guy. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought this documentary was interesting because it they give you all the reasons that he's so controversial, but they try to portray him in a positive light because I think a lot of people who are watching this already like hate him <laughs> before they turn the 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 movie on, basically. And I thought they did a really interesting job of like portraying him in a positive light because um like the the one and done rule basically is that like you have to be 19 to be able to or enter the NBA draft, or you have to be like 19 and a half, I think maybe, which means that like many, many players um, leave high school and have to do like, have to go to one year of college before they can um, like enter the NBA. Um, and John Calipari has like seized on this by like, he recruits a lot of players by being like, Hey, you're going to come to my program. I'm, I don't give a shit about your academics. I don't give a shit about any of that. We are going to get you in the position where you can go to the NBA and make a lot of money because like he deals with a lot of like a lot of basketball players come from very poor families and they're like, listen, like we're broke. I just want to take care of my mom, you know? And so he like goes to these kids and is just like, we are going to get you like into the NBA, like as soon as possible. And like, there's like dozens of stories of him, like students wanting to come back and play a second year. And he's like, no, you have an option to go make like $3 million on a rookie contract. You are not coming back to this fucking school. (laughs) Uh, And I, I thought that was like, that is the most positive I've ever felt about him. That like the reason that he's ruined college basketball is to like, take care of these kids. And he clearly cares a lot about these kids. I also thought this was really interesting. This is my last note because, um, cause I was not going to go long about this movie. And yeah. I have accidentally, uh, I watch a ton of sports documentaries on YouTube. 
Um, particularly stuff from Secret Base. They do a lot of, um, you know, Dorktown and Rewinder that I think are really good. Um, and because Secret Base is not ESPN, like, those uh, programs are made by, like, much smaller production teams for much less money. Yeah. Um, and they still, still are very compelling. But watching, like, ESPN do this with a budget, they just get to, like, show you way more game footage and way more, like, we got a camera in the locker room because we're ESPN. We get yeah. to put a camera in the locker room. <laughs> yeah. And we get to interview, like, we get to interview Calipari. We get to interview, like, Bill Self. We get to interview, like, Derek Rose and... and, and um, John Wall and all these people. And I, I think this is a worse documentary than a lot of the stuff that I watch on YouTube for less budget. But it is really interesting to see how, like, <clears throat> you can feel so strongly in those smaller productions, the authorial voice. Whereas once you have the budget, you don't need an authorial voice because what you have is access. And it's really interesting to see yeah. how that access erases like the need for, for storytelling because the access becomes the story. It's, it, I thought it was really yeah. interesting. Um, also, I watched it like double speed up. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's a sports documentary. It doesn't matter that much. Um, do you have ratings for the stairs in either of these? F. For both. F for both. <laughs> they were documentaries. They did not feature stairs. They featured talking heads and B-roll. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess the last movie that I watched... Mm-hmm. Um, should I tell the funny story of how I decided to watch this? Please do. So, you know, I've been doing the, like... Let's do Neve's porno check-in, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was watching... Or I was like having a moment at work where I was like, oh, I feel like I can, I could like watch something right now. And so I pulled up arrow. Um, and I was like, I'm just going to search the word lesbian mm-hmm. and see what comes up. And one of them was like Lesbos Vampiros or like Vampiros Lesbos. I forget what order it's a in, movie that I thought you is, had watched. Yeah. Which is a, a German like lesbian vampire movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Did and you make that. No. <laughs> um, and like, I, at the moment, I was just like, I don't want to, like, try and work and then have, like, I know a little bit of German, but I still also have to sometimes look at, like, subtitles to orient myself and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I was like, I'm not going to do that. And there's this other one called Turkey Shoot that's from Australia, and it talks about, like, a lesbian with a crossbow. I watched them. I don't... I must have missed the part where they say that she's a lesbian. <laughs> There's like no lesbian content here. Um, it's a weird movie. Like it. So this is from 1982, and I feel like it has a vibe of a lot of like, like there was a style of 80s sci-fi at the time, um, and this is definitely like a, a most dangerous game is like the big pull especially at the time. Um, but it's also kind of a, um, you're trying the, my salt licorice right now and shaking your head. No. Um, sorry. I wanted to be casual about it. Yeah. I just got curious all of a sudden. Um, but you know, also kind of like a, a battle royale thing. So it's like some dystopian future where, um, you know, it's, it's like vaguely, a. uh, totalitarian state with like no other discussion of like actual politics for the most part. Um, 
And like, there are a few people who are like actual people in the resistance. And then there's this one guy who um, like goes, he's like being chased by the police or something and goes into this like lady who just owns a store and goes into her store and he's like bleeding. And she's like, Oh my God, let me help you. And then the cops come in and are like, you're helping him. Um, you're also like one of the, the, uh, what do they call them? It's not like dissidents or it's like, it's not delinquents. It's degenerates. That's what degenerates. They call them. Of course. Um, degenerates. Uh, and so they all get shipped off to this, uh, work camp. That's, of course, it's Australia, so it's just full of white people for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and it like then it turns into oh, they do this like most dangerous game type thing where like some rich people will come to the the like prison camp and be like, oh, I'm gonna pick the prisoner that I want, and if they they succeed in like escaping, then they get to go free back to society. Mm-hmm. Otherwise. The people are hunting them down, including like a lady with a crossbow that shows shoots like different type of ammo where like this one explodes and stuff like that. Um, and as apparently a lesbian. But so this is the part that's like weird to me because it's it's made very clear early on that like so the one part where a little bit of pol- politics creeps in is where there's one there's just discussion of like, oh, like here's all the rules around like degeneracy, like, um, you know, some level of like sexual deviance is allowed, but like if you know a pregnancy happens, then like there's going to be an abortion and the guy who caused it gets castrated or whatever. Mm. Um, you know, oh, so extreme. Um, and then they're like, in like no homosexuality at all is like tolerated, it's a capital crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's like little bits that are like it's just like the real world, yeah, it's just like hinting at like oppression stuff, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, for the most part, it's, like, there's no, like, any discussion of what would the actual politics be in this way where it would be very easy to watch this and be like, this is about communism, mm-hmm. you know, in the same way that it can also be about fascism. Yeah. Um, just, like, how many of these things have, like, the, it's the, the horseshoe theory to the degree that, like, they just connect on the end, <laughs> you know? It just, like, becomes, like, totalitarianism with, like, no real... Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, but the one part also where politics creeps in is that the, the like headmaster or whatever of the prison camp, who's one of them, the like, he's like the final villain who's hunting them as well. Uh, his name is Thatcher. So there's just like moments where <laughs> they're like, oh, fuck you, Thatcher. And like, this is like 83, like Thatcher or 82, like Thatcher was, was doing stuff at this point. Yeah. Like, not like fully the height of like, a lot of Thatcher stuff, but like, you know, Thatcher was a, a, a politician that was already known. Um, and yeah, the end, there's like a part that's like, you know, like I forget, you know, just like shouting, like go to hell Thatcher and stuff. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> uh, that part's fantastic. Um, me, yeah, I was, I think the part about it watching it that was, was weird is, I either wanted it to, like, not be as campy as it was, or I just wanted it to be more campy. Mm-hmm. Like, it was campy, but, like, in a way where it just, like, sometimes wasn't landing as fun as it could have or something. Um, the the ending sequence is great. There's some great practical effects of, like, a guy gets a hatchet in his, uh, or, like, 
um, not a hatchet, one of the the ones that you would use for like clearing bushes. I forget what those are called. It's not uh, like m- machetes. Machete. I think a guy gets a machete to his head, and it's like you know through his like top That's of his skull. Um, like they do some like great practical effects, but it most of those happen at the very end. Uh huh. Um, and then there's a little bit that's like the exploitation-y, like we're going to show some nudity, but it's mostly just like some shower scenes at the beginning in the camps. And so there's this, this thing of like, I almost just, I wanted it to, like those parts were what I expected it to be overall. And the rest was kind of just like middling action. Mm-hmm. And it was like, either just like be the action movie that this is, or be the like weird gore, nudity, whatever. Um, and it just like, didn't quite know what it was or something. Uh, or maybe it's just that like, this was super over the top gore exploitation. Wow. There's like nudity and you see the machete in the guy's head in 82 and now I'm just spoiled, but, uh-huh. um, yeah, I don't know. It, like I watched it and it was, like, it just did not leave as much of an impression on me for like, uh, a movie that got sold to me as like, there's a lesbian with a crossbow and a guy gets a machete to his head yeah you know sounds like a bit of a letdown yeah so um it was not that big of a fan of it also it takes place entirely in like the outback because it's just like a camp in the middle of you know the desert and then people like running through the desert uh so not a single stair not a single step (laughs) it's just as far as the eye can see (laughs) <laughs> so, um, you may like maybe occasionally get people like running up like a bit of a like cliff face, but mm. no stairs. F. My last movie that I watched was um, Ring, uh, the 1998 like Japanese not The Ring, but Ring. Yeah. Um. Uh, I was really taken with that movie. I um, I was just on Arrow one night. I was just like. I wanted to put on something that was horror, and Ring was, like, one of the first things that came up, and I was like, I've never seen this. Um, I've never seen, I've never seen Grudge, either. Um, you, you were talking, I think you like the Grudge series a lot better than Ring. It's been a really long time since I've seen Ring. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I was describing it, too, as, like, there's a part of me now, especially doing a podcast, where I'm like, I should go revisit Ring, and, like actually watch it and and think about it but like in my normal day-to-day life if i'm ever like i want that style of like japanese horror mm-hmm. i would just watch like june and yeah the the garage and i think some of it is the fact that like it's one of those things where i can watch through like the series of like grudge stuff mm-hmm. and be like oh, okay this is the same director and when it goes to hollywood it's him and it does still like change to more of a hollywood style but it's still keeping a lot of what he was doing. And it is like being intentional about this being like a remake, but that is also kind of a sequel for like fans of the original. Okay. That is like talking about like specifically the main character being like an American white woman coming into a Japanese home in a way that there's just like interesting things happening okay. there that I don't think happened with some of the other yeah. like Hollywood remakes of these horror things i think that's part of why it's elevated in my head yeah it's just because i could watch any movie from the the grudge series mm-hmm. including the like shorts which are not that great at the very beginning and i would like still have a good time because i just like it whereas like I, some of the other ones are more like i love cairo like pulse the like original japanese one mm. the american one's just absolute dog shit mm. you know yeah 
I um I was really taken with this movie. Um I definitely while I was watching it, I was like, "Oh, this movie's phenomenal." And you know, with like a week or week and a half of hindsight, I'm like, "Oh, that movie's pretty good." You know? Yeah. Like I don't I'm not quite as high on it as the night that I watched it, but um still really enjoyed it. Um and I guess the other thing that was so interesting to me is that like <clears throat> I was four when um the ring came to the US and then got like that remake. Um I know like dozens and dozens and dozens of people for whom like the ring and the grudge were like their first horror movies. Um I do I don't have any of that. Like I don't um I don't really remember what my first horror movie was, to be honest. It was like it's a genre that I've always like I have seen horror movies when I was very young, but I've never been super invested in horror movies, so it's not like a thing that I like remember like, oh yes, uh such and such was the first horror movie I saw. Anyway, yeah. all I have to say that like because the ring came out when I was so young and because so many people, it was, like, one of the first horror movies they saw, like, of my age, you know, um, I thought that was just, like, a... I put on Ring kind of expecting it to be a little dead to culture because I, I knew... And I don't even think this appears in the Japanese film. I think this is only in the American film, but, like, the actual The Ring on the, on the TV, you know, um, and, like... You will die in seven days and all, yeah. all that shit. Like I thought that I just like knew what this movie was, and I was pleasantly surprised by it. There were some twists I didn't see coming. There were a lot of twists that I did see coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was definitely like, uh, as a person who gets really invested in ghost stories, um, this is the most bog standard ghost story in the history of the world. In a way where like. I understand how this movie got so successful because one, people like ghost stories and two, this puts in like 1998, 2002, like twist on it because it makes it about, you know, videos, which is the thing that we were all going to Blockbuster to get. And so it's like, yeah. oh, this could happen to me. Like, I understand why this movie's so successful. And like, I just had a really good time. Um, I, I knew the big iconic scene at the end where she comes out of the TV. Like, obviously I knew that. But, like, it still was fucking scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are a couple things that that movie does that I imagine the American movie absolutely does not do. Like, there's a lot of, like, the ways that, like, this movie uses freeze frames and, and stuff that I imagine the American movie doesn't do. <laughs> um, but I thought it was really good. Um, yeah. And I liked the ending a lot. I thought the uh, the thing where she's, like... I'm going to go kill my dad so that my son lives is a really good ending. Um, there's a lot of like images from ring that sort of live in my head now that I think are really evocative. Um, and that's really all I want, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, as far as stairwells, um, this is another classic case of Autumn was high while watching this, and it was like 10 days ago, so we're going to put a big old... We need to... 
we need like a weed cat symbol in here somewhere. <laughs> like we need some sort of way of demarcating. <laughs> Autumn was high and watched this a week ago and does not remember the stairs. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the three question marks still just works. People people will see that. Um, I mean, I've done it a few times, but I feel like it does come up more often with, oh, going back. It was me more. I feel like you do the three question marks more now. I, I the, just. The real just... difference is that I have gotten better at watching a movie and then putting in a, a grade. Uh-huh. And also, if I'm watching it on my own, like, mm-hmm. screenshotting a stare when I see it mm-hmm. and just putting it up on media pile. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. One, you're better at that. And two, I do think there is, like, a very funny and distinct difference between you being, like, oh, yeah, I was, like, half watching it with my wife and I was enjoying it, but it wasn't, like, my full attention. Or I was, like... At work, and I had it on in the yeah. background. There's a difference between that and I was blazed, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly, I'm just roasting myself. That's all. Yeah. Um. But yeah, really, really taken with uh with ring. Um, yeah. Um, uh, speaking of Japanese movies. Yeah. So yeah, we watched um, Battles Without Honor. Or Humanity 2, Deadly Fight in Hiroshima, uh, and Lady Snowblood. Lady Snowblood, which we have partially podcasted about before because yeah. I watched it on my lonesome one day. Um, and people might be wondering, why are we not doing um, the first Battle of that movie? It's because it's not as good. I I think I like <laughs> the first one a little bit more, but they're they're like... In my memory, I liked the first one a lot more, and this time I ended up liking this one a lot, too, in its own way. I think when I think about the series, this one is just, like... So part of why is that, like, if you have no intention to watch any of the other Battletoads Out movies, Mm -hmm. you'll still watch this one and get, like, what feels to me, like, the most complete story, because it, like, the character story in this is just, like contained within this movie yeah um whereas like all the rest of the movies are about sugawara Bunta's character yeah the the thing with the first movie is that sugawara Bunta, like as a star i'm not even talking about his character i just mean like him as an actor like i was sort of drawn into like him and everything that's going on with him um and often i found the story like the plot of of the first movie very confusing whereas this movie sort of like lacks that like i think obviously sugawara munta is here but he is not in it as much as um tamanaka is that um yeah i don't remember the actor's name unfortunately hmm. but i i found that character a lot more compelling and it made the the storyline easier to follow um because I found that that character very compelling as opposed to finding like, oh, I just like that actor. Is that Sonny Chiba? Uh, Yamanaka. 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 Uh, Sonny Chiba does show up in... in uh, okay. I was like, yeah. I was like, no He's way that I was just watching a Sonny Chiba movie the whole time and didn't notice. But I could absolutely believe that he was like another character in this and I didn't realize. Um, yeah, he was... Uh, there's just... 
so many. There's so many guys. Um, but yeah, this this is the one that's the the most standout. So one, a fair amount of this takes place while Sugawara Bunta's character is in prison in the like rest of the series. Um, he does show up, but usually just sort of shows up as a like mentor figure mm-hmm. to the the main character. And like every time, like. Every time he showed up, we pointed at the screen, and that's kind of the vibe of, like, I think what you're supposed to do when it happens. Yeah. Um, it's him. Yeah. He's great. Um, it was uh, Kita Oji Kinya who played the, the main character here. Yeah. Uh, who's Shoji. Sugawara um, Bunto is so charismatic. Just, like, he looks, yeah. he looks toward the camera and, like, gives a little smile and then, like, wipes it off his face immediately. It's, oh, my God, he's so yeah. good. He's in, like, five <laughs> scenes tops. <laughs> um, yeah, so, like, part of part of why do just this is that, like, it's a good one. It, it's self-contained. So if you watch this and you don't really want to watch any of the other Battles Without mm-hmm. movies, you still kind of get what it is and you have, like, more of a self-contained story for it. Um, whereas like some of the other ones feel a little bit more sprawling to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the like romance subplot that I think like helps ground it and give you something else to like latch onto. Whereas a lot of the other movies are really just like, are do you care about the like dynamics of like inner gang politics that are happening across like multiple movies? Mm-hmm. And if that's not like compelling to you and then the images aren't compelling to you, um, there's not like another like plot that you can really latch onto. Whereas here there's like, oh, there's this romantic plot. Yeah. I kind of know how it's going to play out, but it's still like something to like keep me going. And to also like give me one character who has like an arc where I can kind of see like, oh, they are talking about like, this is like the arc of someone who would be in this. That was, I think that was the big difference between, um, the first movie and the second movie for me is that the first movie I couldn't really understand the plot, and so it was just the vibes, the images, the mood, the the um, bombasticness, but also like the reserved, the reservedness too, that sort of carried me through it. Um, whereas this has all that, and also just had like a character and a and a plot that I could like. Yeah hook into a, well, a little easier. And this plot is like a little bit of what you get with Suwara Bunja's character in the first movie. By the way, we, we keep talking about the first movie because the other reason why we're doing this and not the first one is that before we started this podcast, like the very first movie that we watched was the yeah. first one. Yeah, when um, we were just hanging out and it wasn't work. <laughs> yeah, and then we, we talked about it a bunch and we don't like really want to just podcast about it, but if we do the second movie, we can kind of podcast about it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but, like, you get a little bit of the arc of, like, oh, okay, he's just, like, some punk on the street. Um, notably, it's taking place in Hiroshima, and he, like, mm-hmm. steals a weapon from a, a U.S., like, army. There is There are so many throughout this movie. We should probably do do the summary yeah. here pretty in a moment. Uh, but um, this movie is just, like filled with, like, guns that were stolen from an American military base in a way that the first movie is not, and it's, like, genuinely, like, shocking, (laughs) you know? Um, But, yeah, the first one, I mean, like, starts with that, and then you get, like, his rise from, like, oh, I'm just some punk on the street, to I get pulled into the gang, to I'm leading my own family, and I'm, like, you know, turning against, like, people who are my mentors and stuff. But all of it is, like... 
set up for like this is just the beginning of this like character's full story because mm-hmm. he's like he's going to go on to do so much more whereas this is a character who like is going to die at the end of the movie and so you can get m- what feels like more of a complete arc of like yes he just starts as some punk on the street mm-hmm. who um is like basically getting into fights and gets the attention of yakuza becomes someone who's like very good at doing hits and other people are often taking the fall for him mm-hmm. um Finally gets like caught and sent to prison for life and escapes from prison. And I'll just read this or not. So I don't know if the the uh, Arrow releases have this. Um, I have the DVDs from uh, this was from I'm trying to remember the uh, it's from Home Vision Entertainment. Uh, the DVD copies and it has like this like cheat sheet in uh-huh. the th- in each of them, which is great. Where like people can probably hear me unfolding this. Um, Inside, there's, like, a kind of a a rough timeline that gives you, like, the years that each movie takes place. And then there's, like, lines for, like, characters and, like, when they show up Mm -hmm. in different movies, um, who they're aligned with in different movies, like, when they die, things like that. And it is, like, funny that, like, volume one, the first movie volume two volume three like a bunch of these lines just go down and under and like go over into volume three (laughs) um some of them like come up being like oh yeah we like saw them here they did die uh here so they just will be dead just know that you know (laughs) um but yeah it like i feel like it's this is the most like disjointed that the series is in terms of timeline because all the rest is just like progressing chronologically yeah um but the the other thing they have little synopses and so i decided instead of like us looking us trying to do a synopsis or us like reading it off of wikipedia i would read the one in here mm-hmm. uh, so this is this is for the movie uh that covers the years 1950 to 1953 uh shoji yamanaka gets thrashed by the son of the otomo family uh, Katsutoshi Otomo, who that is, um, Sonny Shiba, um, and is taken in by Yasuko, who is Kajimeko, yeah. who we'll talk about in a little bit when we get to Lady Snowblood. Um, you know, we watched two Japanese movies from 1973 with tons of fake you know, blood and, and Kajimeko. lots of fake <laughs> blood, and it's about revenge, and the main character maybe dies at the end. We'll get to Lady Snowblood. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, taken in by uh, Yasuko, the niece of Tsuneo Muraoka, the boss of the biggest family in Hiroshima. Um, Exiled to Kyushu for falling in love with the boss's niece, Yasuko. Um, Yamanaka is brought back and made a full member of the Muraoka family after successfully assassinating a business rival. Back in Hiroshima, Katsutoshi uh, leaves his father's family and tries to take over Hiroshima by aligning with Muraoka's sworn brother, Tokimori. Uh, Muraoka expels Otomo and Tokimori for investigating a war in uh, Hiroshima. Tokimori uh, seeks safety through Yamamori, who pays the reluctant but cash-strapped Hirono, uh, that's Sugawara Bunta, uh, to take care of him in Kure. This is all the part where you were like really not paying attention because it wasn't the romance subplot anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I um, was like, oh, Sugawara Bunta. I don't care yeah. what's going on with this character. Um, I just like him. <laughs> then, owing Muraoka a favor, Hirono and Yamanaka negotiate the assassination of Tokimori against the wishes of Yamamori. Um, now a feared killing machine, Yamanaka executes 
uh, order after order for Muraoka, but is eventually sentenced to life in prison. After hearing that Muraoka has arranged for Yasuko to marry a man she does not love, uh, Yamanaka escapes to kill Muraoka, but is manipulated into killing his mentor and ends up taking his own life. Mm. So they basically, like, feed information to him um, to get him to, like, try and get free to kill the guy that she's marrying. Uh, But actually, she's just, like, actually happy with him. That's the that's the real ending, and then he like kills the guy and realizes that he was just manipulated and doing yeah. another hit, um, and then at the end kills himself. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the main if I'm going to do a, a primary summary is like guy falls in love with boss's niece. They don't like that. Uh, gets back into their graces by doing a bunch of assassinations, um. But then sometimes he assassinates people when they don't want him to, or mm-hmm. he assassinates people too good, or people get into too much trouble because he assassinated people. Um, and so then they basically figure out a way to to like screw him over and yeah. have him do another hit for them. Yeah. Um, and then when he realizes that he's basically just like lost the love of his life and like extra ruined any chance he has with her. He yeah. It's like, well... I guess this is it. Like the police are after me. Yeah. I'm either going back to, to prison and that honestly sounds worse. Yeah. So, um, Oh, this movie's good. This movie's really fucking good. Yeah. Um, um, what am I going to say? Um, honestly, like a lot of my main thoughts will also veer over into lady snowball. This is also the reason why I was like, it'd be fun to do a double feature. Yeah, Totally. Um, oh, I, I remember what I was going to say is that I thought, so sort of the premise, like when this movie came to the U.S., it was titled originally The Yakuza Papers. Uh, you talked about yes. this. Did you talk about this earlier in the episode? No. Okay. Um, I know I, I I know I brought it up with you, but. Okay. I couldn't um, remember. I suddenly was like, I'm going to explain this. And then I was like, oh, I hope you didn't explain that 10 minutes yeah. ago. And I forgot. But so the the Japanese title is Jinginaki Tadakai, which is like. Could be translated. Battles without honor and humanity is like a little like there's embellishment. A, little, a touch of embellishment there. Um, but they're like trying to translate this idea of jingi, which is like a, a more complex concept mm-hmm. than you can just say honor. But yeah. It's kind of this idea of like um there there's like the two poles. I've talked about this before, that especially exist in Ninkyo that are like um you could sort of do as the honor and humanity. Like one of them is like the, the uh, expectations that exist in life, your, your duty or um, the like fealty that you have to your boss, to your job, to like just the, the general duties that you have in life that you need to fulfill. Um, You know, this in broader context outside of Yakuza could also just include things of like, Oh, to like, my partner or my kids or whatever, like whatever role mm-hmm. you have in a certain thing, it's a, like about fulfilling that role. Um, and then the other one is about like what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And, and this kind of sometimes gets translated as like humanity. Mm-hmm. Cause especially in the, the Ninkyo stuff, you get that tension of like, here's what the boss is telling me to do. Here's what like my, my, um, what I want to do, which is often to like, you know, continue to be friends with this person who I consider my Anaki, mm-hmm. you know, like my like blood brother or whatever. But now the boss is telling me I have to kill him. And this is the tension. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and it is like intensifying and dramatizing, uh, uh, like far simpler tension that we feel in like our daily life. This is also why I love Cromartie high school so much because Cromartie high school like folds it back into, we are treating like, Oh, the guy I'm talking to has like a nose hair sticking out of his nose. And I'm like trying to figure out if I should tell him, but then treating it with the same level of like deep, like internal battle that would Uh happen over like my boss is telling me I have to kill my blood brother, but like, he's my blood brother. And instead it's just about like, do I tell the guy I'm talking to that he like has a nose hair sticking out and like, Oh, he noticed it. He's touching. Oh no. It, Nose hair in the other nose, like, <laughs> um, it's great. But anyway, also, so when this movie was initially like brought over to the U.S., it was called um, the Yakuza Papers or, mm. or the this series, um, which I think is interesting. And, and you mentioned that like um, these are largely based on like um, quote unquote based on true stories. Um, of, of a reporter who was involved with the Yakuza for, for years and was writing these, these Yakuza papers that's like exposing like the, the real world of like what it's like to be a Yakuza. Yeah. Um, and so I thought it was really interesting. The, the first movie definitely has that element of like, uh, uh, of this is, this is what it's really like. You know, we've all, we've talked in the past about Tokyo Drifter or Red Peony Gambler, which are such heightened movies. And the first movie is like, no, this is like what, this is the real shit. And this movie leans so far into that where like it is constantly, um, you know, Lady Snowblood is giving you chapter headings in terms of like manga where it's like chapter one, blah, blah, blah. Chapter four, like the, the final scene of carnage, pleasure at the palace or whatever. Yeah. Um, and this movie is giving you chapter headings in the sense of like headlines of like, May 5th, 1952, uh, eight, or eight injured, two dead in Yakuza shootout or whatever in Hiroshima. I thought it was so interesting the way that this leans into this sort of like reality of it, which I think allows it to get away with even being even more heightened, I think, than the first movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and, and it is interesting too, because I feel like the first movie, you get a few moments that kind of feel like it's like, but often it is like, here, let us show you like a newspaper that's uh-huh. talking about an event. And you don't get that here. Mm-hmm. And so the first movie feels more in the like line of like ripped from the headlines. Yeah. Whereas this one is like finding this like this style that is like, no, this, this just is the headlines. Yes. Like like we are we are almost trying to present things as if like what you are viewing is documentary footage at times. Yes. Um to a degree of like it is almost funny the how often they will find the freeze frame of a character's face where you can't see it <laughs> very well and it's blurry and the way that you would imagine like a telephoto lens of them trying to get a shot of some yakuza yeah. might also be like you can barely see who this person fucking is and then underneath it says the name and like what family they're in or whatever right and yeah. they're just like doing that in the movie yeah um the way this movie uses freeze frame and i think this is true for the first movie too the way that uh um remind me his name uh, um, Fukasaku like uses yeah. freeze frame in these movies is fucking great. I yeah. love it so much. <laughs> um, yeah, you're hitting on a thing too that that's uh something that I was thinking, especially watching these back to back, which is um so like 
Battles Without Honor and Humanity is considered the start of the the like Jitsuroku, mm-hmm. which um, there's a there's a few things that like mark it as different from Ninkyo. Um, in its like purest form, Ninkyo is Jidaigeki. It's like a period piece. Um, there's definitely stuff that's happening at the same time that we talked about that I think is still like operating within that same framework that includes stuff like Tokyo Drifter. Mm-hmm. But Tokyo Drifter is set in a little bit more of like modern mm-hmm. setting. Um, but it's still kind of more directly just like operating within that space. This is specifically setting up this like version that is like, no, this is like recent history. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like all guns, mm-hmm. um, like very intentionally. Like there are sometimes like knives, but like these are not people going around with samurai swords. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. no katana here or yeah. anything. It is like literally just like knives and knives that seem to also be u.s military knives yeah in many cases or just like a a chef's knife because you're grabbing it off of a table to slash someone that was something i was going to mention um before we pivoted to doing the summary was just that like in the first movie i feel like so much is done with knives and like Mm -hmm. i i I remember sugawara bunta like stabbing someone and like there are scenes where people have guns and it's like he has a gun it has like a weight to it which I think so perfectly sets up in this movie, there's assault rifles and shotguns and rifles and pistols and revolvers and yeah. there's guns everywhere. This is like taking place like sort of concurrent, sort of like maybe like a year or two after the first movie and like just the proliferation of guns throughout like the Japanese like crime world in a very short amount of time is like shocking to see yeah. it is like oh my god well that's also the thing of like i mean guns become more common by the very end of the first movie but also in a way where they haven't like really been focusing on on the same way that they are here um and i think also one of it too is that it for a while like for most of the first movie every single time someone pulls a gun they are just like shaking and trembling and like just pulling the trigger over and over again just being like oh my god oh my god what am i doing uh uh-huh. basically um, and when, um, Shoji, the, the like main character here, the first time that he kills someone has this sort of similar reaction at first. Uh, this is a great scene. I, I love it's this so, so much good. because, you know, he's like, he like does this really ridiculous stance, which he will still sometimes do. Yeah. Um, but he does this like incredibly ridiculous stance and is like kind of trembling and then, but only fires once. Um, and then it's kind of like shaking and like clearly like, oh my God, I just killed a guy. Mm. Uh, and then he like whistles to himself. Mm-hmm. Um, this is part of why I'm like, this is, this is great because, um, stuff's going to happen in later movies that like, at some point I want you to watch all five because yeah. I think it, I think it begins to like comment on itself and like what Yakuza films role are having in this. But I think this is the first time that the, the series really does that, which is that like he whistles to himself the way that like in Tokyo Drifter, he will whistle his own theme song. Yeah. And then is like, oh no, I'm actually a badass. I just killed a guy. Yeah. I'm and so at, cool. like, he becomes like progressively more confident with just like shooting people. Yes. Um, and when he's doing that stance at the end, he's specifically doing that stance so he can aim really well, like from afar and shoot someone with a pistol and they can't hit him because they don't know how to shoot yeah. as well as he does. Yeah. Um, and like that becomes a, a, key part i think of like what they're showing here too is like there's a there's a growing familiarity with like guns and using them Uh um and part of what makes him a hitman is that he just gets comfortable with like pulling a gun and killing a guy a lot faster than some of the other people do yeah um so but yeah so like 
one of the main hallmarks of Jidaigeki, and that's all over this. One is that there's like shaky cam, everything, mm-hmm. which we were talking about this like documentary style. Um, and there's just like generally this like darker tone, this like, I think that this, this one can get away with a little bit of more melodrama, but also because it is still like joking about some of like the tropes of Ninkyo. Um, it's one of my favorite scenes in the, the first movie is the one where, uh, they are all like, oh, like we're Yakuza now. I just made this like big mistake. I need to apologize. What you need to do is you need to cut off your finger. Oh, they're Mm. like going, but then instead of it being like the normal Ninkyo, like laying down the finger and it's all solemn. And then like, there's like the build up music and then like, and then it'll like, you know, hit something and then they'll like do the knife down and then it'll just like show the finger off with the blood like as the static shot um it just like becomes chaos and it's like he's like trying to and like not getting it and having to like try (laughs) multiple times and then it falls off and they lose it they're like where did it go like flew off into the garden and they like find like a chicken pecking at it and stuff and then after all of it he takes it to the the boss and the boss is like oh you didn't have to do that (laughs) Uh, it's fine. You could have just like given me some money or something. It's fine. Like, <laughs> there's a there's a scene in this movie because that's all from the first movie. This movie there's a scene. Um, Suguar Bunta's character gets out of prison and he's trying to start his own family. Um, and him and his boys are like strapped for cash. And um, his own Yakuza family, to be clear, he's not trying to settle down <laughs> with a wife and kids. <laughs> and so he um. His his guys, um, there's like a bunch of like stray dogs in the neighborhood, and like they grab one of the dogs and they like butcher it and and, and serve it to him, and they don't tell him they're like, oh yeah, we went and bought some meat, boss, and um, he like throws a scrap to a dog that's out in the street, and the dog's like, I'm not fucking eating that, and he's like, are you serving me dog right now? Yeah. And he's like, pissed off, like why did you kill a dog? I don't want to eat dog, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and the, the thing, the, the reason I brought this up is like the guy who did it is like, oh, I'm so sorry, boss here. I'll cut my finger off. And he just like grabs a knife. He's like, don't, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but the guy is just like so casual, like, oh, I fucked up. Time to cut the finger. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like ready yeah. to go. <laughs> um, yeah. And so some of it is like, I think some of it is that the, the tropes of Ninkyo mm-hmm. were so set in stone that like by like being so flippant about some of the like key scenes that would happen and by like having this different tone, it becomes like, this is the super real world. This is what Yakuza are really like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then the whole thing is like, oh, these are the battles that don't have the, like the struggle between like honor and humanity. Right. You know, that's what the whole battles of that honor and humanity thing means. Right. But still, the first movie is, like, him wanting to, like, be with his blood brother from prison and then, like, has to end up killing him and then is all heartbroken about it and has a, you know, bounces back with another guy and then ends up getting, like, that guy dies and he's all fucked up about it. You know? Man, Pale Flower is a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, like, this movie is about, like, oh, I want to, like, be with the, like, the family says that I can't be with this girl, but, like, I love her and she loves me. And then mm-hmm. I just get, like, played into ruining everything. Yeah. Um, like, my having to do what they say, and they, like, specifically play on this, like, humanity side, this, like, what I want to do, which is to, like, get out of prison and be with the girl that I love. Mm-hmm. 
they even play on that to just like have me fulfill another duty for them. Yeah. You know, to like put it into the, the very basic terms of. Yeah, totally. Some of the stuff. But, and so like at its heart, these are still Ninkyo plots is the thing that's funny to me. Yeah, totally. 100%. Um, which is great. Like they're great stories. It's yeah. just, it's like, it's one of the things that I think is really interesting. They're like, okay, this like Ninkyo idea is like being played out. There's a lot of criticism about, around it. Like, what are we going to do next? Um, and we kind of get two versions of it in these two movies, which is, you know, the battles without series is like, Oh, we're going to do the real gritty. This is what it's actually like to be a Yakuza. It's so like dark and like, no, it's not all the like heightened melodrama stuff. It's just like dudes shooting each other and shaking afterwards. Um, and it does that to some degree, but at the same time, it's still like they have to tell a good story. And so they do. They still do the same story. Yeah, totally, totally. Even though they're, like, disrupting all of the tropes. Yeah. Um, And then Lady Snowblood is like, well, no, we're just going to do it, but we're just going to, like, heighten it further, and yeah. we're going to, like, push it more into, like, exploitation territory. Yeah, Lady but Snowblood. we're going to do a red peony gambler, but instead of it being, like... Oh, she's just a traveling Yakuza. It's like, no, I'm like, was born for the purpose of revenge and I'm going to go like kill a bunch of dudes and we're just going to like really amp up the like sprays of blood. Yeah. Lady Snowblood takes like the most rote tropey like movie in the, in the universe and is like, but we're going to like heighten it and heighten it and heighten it um, to, to where like the, the, the pure sort of visual spectacle of it is the attraction, and you don't care that you're being served the same tropes over and over. Like, yeah. that, that doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> yeah. In the same way that, like, Tokyo Drifter is, it's just that, like, Lady Snowblood um, is, like, titillating and, and, and scandalous and, and yeah. gory in a way that Tokyo Drifter is not. Yeah. And I for me, I think this is the the, like... Both of these are interesting to look at for like what comes after all the Ninkyo stuff that we were talking about way back when we were talking about Yakuza movies more often mm-hmm. um, on stairwells, which is like, okay, we can't just do this like same stayed like melodrama stuff with the like same exact beats. Yeah. How are we going to mix it up? And both of them are like, we are going to like push it into like, and the, the, the two, they just like get pushed in two different directions, which is one like, oh, we're going to like kind of take the piss out of it. We're going to like, it's going to be like, this is the the real thing. We're going to make it a little grittier. Mm. And I feel like you can see a lot of movies that have come after that kind of have that tone. Yeah. Um, I think like when we get to um, the dead or alive stuff, like it's sort of playing off of some of that tone. Yeah. While also doing weird heightened stuff. Dead yeah. or Alive is interesting because you kind of get the synthesis of mm. when we get there of like the Battles Without and Lady Snowblood. Yeah, totally. Because then Lady Snowblood is like, okay, we're going to push it into like, you know, schlock, mm. exploitation. Um, you know, we'll have nudity. We'll have like, it. you know, weird bad sex. We'll have lots of hyper violence. Like... It is sort of interesting now that I, 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 I feel like I sound like a broken record because I'm comparing this movie to Tokyo Drifter, which is like one of the best movies ever. And like the the Yakuza movie that literally everybody knows if you don't know any Yakuza movies. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting to like draw the line between Lady Snowblood and Tokyo Drifter because I think they're doing a similar thing of like 
doing the tropiness, doing the 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 plots that everybody knows, but like the and and doing it in an exaggerated way. But the thing that like Tokyo Drifter is doing is like abstracting out the like very concept of what a film is. Yeah. <laughs> to like purely just a like audiovisual experience. Whereas whereas Lady Snowblood, um, I think is much more about like putting butts in seats. You know? Uh-huh. Um I, I watched this movie uh last year because I was like literally I was I was on the Criterion channel I was scrolling stuff just I was scrolling through their entire catalog like literally everything that was on the channel at that time just like noting down like stuff I wanted to do for stairwells and I saw the thumbnail of like a lady in a like beautiful butterfly dress covered in blood and I just hit play and yeah. like that's what because why wouldn't you <laughs> that's what Lady Snowblood is about is like let's just show you an image that is so evocative that is so cool that you have to know what this is and then you watch it and you're like wow Kill Bill is the worst movie I've ever seen in my life <laughs> yeah and I now resent the fact that like everyone knows this movie as oh did you know this is where he got the idea for Kill Bill from because this movie kicks the shit out of that yeah <laughs> I'm sorry I. We talked about the same thing the last time I watched Lady Snowblood. I don't want to belabor the point. I, I, I kind of want to just leave it there because yeah. we talked so much about our problems with Tarantino. I'm, I'm the biggest Tarantino hater of like anyone I know, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, I'm just saying at this point, just like have a blog where you make film recommendations. Just like tweet <laughs> out a movie every day. Like open up a boutique like Blu-ray thing and just like release movies that you can't watch in the US right now. Just do that instead, Tarantino, with the money that you would spend on making a movie. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> I think Lady Snowblood's fucking incredible. You know what's um was fun this time was there was a um the first time I through this movie, I really locked into a lot of stuff that's like about like and this is this is literally like every Japanese crime movie does this of like this lady snowblood is like, Oh man, you know, isn't it so messed up that we're basically an American colony in all but name, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and also this movie has like a, a, a B plot or a C plot even about the, um, this guy making a manga out of her life and like, man, you're all watching this movie because you think it's fun and cool when women get revenge, but, like, women are exploited all the time, and, you know, aren't you, like, sort of, like, kind of pointing its finger at the audience a little bit for, like, enjoying all the... You you enjoy all the killing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was, like, so much of what I was tuned into the first time through this movie. And the second time through this movie, literally anytime someone's talking, I'm like, I'm going to go grab a beer. (laughs) And I don't think that that stuff is bad. I just think that, like, that stuff is, like, very common and is done better in a lot of other books, manga, movies, sometimes video games. Video games try to do this a lot. Don't do it well, but try to do it all the time. We were laughing about the moments where she is just, like, like, to, to put it in correct chronology, 
Video game characters are just her. Yes. Where there's a part where she just like throws her parasol and it lands and the guards go look at where it lands and not where they saw the parasol flying from, which is just the <laughs> most like video game guard behavior ever. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, she throws a smoke bomb at one point. It's great. <laughs> She's just, she is just a video game character in a very funny way. Yeah. Or video game characters are just her. Yes, yeah. exactly. But like, um, yeah, it was just really interesting the way that like, I don't think any of that stuff is bad here, but I don't think it's like particularly gripping. And so my second time through the movie, like anytime people are talking, I was just like, okay, yeah, yeah. sure, whatever. When's the blood coming back? Oh, here it is. Yeah. <laughs> they, did, they just don't talk that long in this movie. Yeah, the thing, I, <coughs> the other thing I was um, thinking watching these two was <coughs> Battles Without is like trying to just like entirely create a new aesthetic for these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and often succeeding, but like, man, if you if you don't like poorly lit, like shaky camera shots uh of just like a bunch of dudes wrestling in the dirt um you're not gonna like get anything out of these movies i don't think uh, and like i i love how like frantic and um like chaotic stuff is at like basically all times yes the camera hardly ever rests and when it does uh it's often just like sitting there because some wild thing is gonna like burst into that exact framing yes and then the camera will like follow it as like people tussle on the floor again yes or whatever um and so like there, there's a part of it where i respect it for being like we're like really just gonna try and do something that is like not what these movies are mm-hmm. um on the other hand, this is like, yeah, I saw Red Peony again. But I remember the part where there's like the multicolor windows and she like walks through the different windows and then gets stabbed and her blood goes all over the windows. Yeah. What if the entire movie is just that? Yeah. <laughs> Lady Snowblood, like the director is just like, can we like calls the Technicolor people and is like, can we get it more saturated? No, no, no. I want, I want it more sat. No, you're not understanding me. I want it more saturated. Yeah. Can you get? Can we get it more saturated? Battles <laughs> <laughs> without is like, can you strip out a little bit more saturation and next time light it worse? <laughs> um, we had too many lights on the set, which is like I'm kind of joking, but there's the parts at the end. The uh, we didn't talk about like the last 15 minutes of the battles without two are so fucking good. Yeah, and you can't see anything yeah the lighting is so bad <laughs> and i think they're doing a lot of post-processing to like try and get the film where you can like see what's happening yeah and it means that things just take on like like there's a weird green tint for some of it um the when the lights from like cars show up it's just like this like blinding red suddenly yeah um <laughs> like Stuff is just, like, weird, like, sharp white against black with, like, a weird fuzzy line because they've had to, like, try and do weird methods to to get it, like, brighter. Yeah. Um, And it's just, it's fucking incredible. And it's, like, I don't, this is either, like, they are doing some experimental (laughs) shit or they shot it and they're, like, god damn, we can't see any of it. Do you want to do the reshoot? No. Do you see how many people we had to put in Belize outfits and have them run around at night with water falling from the sky? 
<laughs> no, we're not reshooting it. Figure something out. But I could see how you would watch that as a Japanese director in like the 90s and you would be like, I'm going to make some sweet V cinema about this. I'm just going to do this the whole time. <laughs> you know what the, you know what this reminded me of actually is um last time on the blowout episode when John Travolta is like, "All right, let's see. First we did Blood Beach, then we did Blood Beach 2, <laughs> yeah. and he like lists all he's like five movies. Uh, I guess we've known each other about two years. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, this is the same thing where it's like, man, we got three of these battles without movies coming out this year. You are not reshooting that with better lighting. We are going to make it look like dog shit. <laughs> but it is the best dog shit in the world. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. Also, also, just like, while it looks bizarre uh like unreal like post-process to hell and back um the actual like the story of what is happening of him like hiding from the police and slowly coming to this decision to like shoot himself and like the, the he oh like the the sound effect as he wraps his teeth around the barrel of the yeah. gun, it's which, unpleasant. Which he has stuffed with like I think it's a rice powder. I think he's like grabbing a thing where they like pounded like rice into flour. Yeah. Um, and he like puts that in there for who knows what reason, other than it's just like an incredible aesthetic shot where like that one shot of him like reaching up and grabbing the bowl and then like pulling it down. Yeah. And then like pouring it with his hands and starting to put it in the gun is just like. Yeah, I can see how you'd like watch that and just make yeah. make a movie with a weird like like they can do that and it's a fucking incredible shot. Like, yeah, I will grab like a, a digital video handy cam with some like yeah some mini DV tapes and we'll go out and shoot something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like this uh, this whole it looks bizarre and amazing and terrible and amazing. Yeah. And then like the story that's happening is so good. I, I really loved the end yeah. of battles without two. I, um, it like in a weird way. And again, I have no idea if this is like intentional on the part of the director to have it look like this. Mm -hmm. It really feels like it was just a thing where it was underlit. Yeah. In a way that they just weren't prepared for. Mm -hmm. Um, but it does like weirdly intensify the emotions, but also in this way where, like, it makes it even more melodramatic, but at the same time is intensifying, like, a weird, like, oh, this is the Zapruder film or something. Mm -hmm. Where, like, here's this, like, weird film that we saw that we had to, like, process to hell so you can see what's happening. Yeah. Of, like, it, like, at once, like, gets the the intense realism mm -hmm. of, like, bad quality film because it's all you could shoot. Mm -hmm. And then uses it to, like, intensify it in a way that I can only talk about, like, conspiracy film stuff yeah. to, like, yeah. get at. Where yeah. it's, like, has, like, such a veneer of, like, realism and, like, we really tried to, like, get this to work. And it's a picture of, like, the Loch Ness Monster. And you're, like, going to be real with you. Could also be a log because the <laughs> the quality is such shit on this photo. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really like that movie. Um, yeah. Um, but then Lady Snowblood is just, like feels like very meticulously constructed yeah in a way absolutely. that's also in a way that's great but there's just so much more that has done this yes to me yeah that like while i'm watching it i'm like this is fucking fantastic and i i rated both of these five stars but also there's a certain yeah. part of me that are like man they were really ambitious with some of the stuff that they did yeah in battles without and and 
Lady Snowblood just feels so much more sure of itself of what yes. it is, which is also its own kind of fun. But La- I always like weird rust stuff. Lady Snowblood is like pushing limits, but is also doing that in a way that feels much more like the studio system could probably handle that. Like we know how to make movies, and so we know how to like make them super saturated and super like all these images are very meticulously composed and and yeah. like how to make this like super gory shots look good. Like there's a system that is built that you are pushing to its limits to make that movie. Whereas like, it feels like battles without and battles without two are sort of like upending the whole system of making the movies, you know? Um, I mean, this is like out of the, the era, some of like the really meticulous earlier directors for Toho, but like, it's still Toho who had like Ozu. Yeah. They're like, yeah, we know how you're just going to like, take a while setting up a perfect shot and then like having a, you know, some intense thing happen or whatever. Yeah. Um, um, I wanted to ask you something that's totally unrelated. So, um, yeah, it was like a lot of Kurosawa was, was Toho too. Yeah. I wanted to double check that. I was pulling it up and then, uh, was surprised that it was not here at the top with famous directors who directed films for Toho. I feel like you would, Put Kurosawa in there with, like, Mizuguchi. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, that's because Kurosawa is listed higher up. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, right there. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> he gets he gets better billing, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, did you have... Because we got a couple questions, but did you have any, like, more thoughts about Battles Without or Lady Snowblood that you wanted to get out? Um... I mean, I guess the general is just like, I, before we get to Lynch, I'm going to just like complete this like Yakuza film project that I started when we first started the podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and for me, like, it makes sense that both of these films are the same year because like right around here really is, I think this turning point in like, what is the Yakuza film? I think in a way to like both of these movies are far more, I think intentional about politics in a way that some of the, the older Jedi Gaki stuff is still dealing in politics, but is like, is, is so much just about like, this is a period film. And so they are talking about things, but they are also talking about things in like these like very set formulaic ways where then again, this like critique emerges that like it is inherently fascistic because, um, or like feudalistic because it is about uh, a release valve of watching the bad person who wouldn't kill their boss in the way that you wish you could, but you're not a bad person. So you won't. Right. And you just like briefly get this like release. And this is like also starting to try to contend with like, what is that legacy? What it, what's actually happening there. Um, And so both of these in their own ways are like commenting on things with Japan and especially like the U S occupation of Japan is becoming like a, a growing um, thing that is discussed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, As well as like, how do you, how does film relate to like Japanese politics and in particular, like Japanese fascism? Uh Why are you telling stories about like um, people in like, these extremely hierarchical Yakuza families, if it is not like you talking to some degree about like extremely hierarchical society and like right. fascist society. Yeah. So, totally. Um, 
if you're not talking about like World War II and both like what Japan did during the war as well as then like what happened after with the mm-hmm. US. So um like neither of these I think are like wow, there's like extremely amazing politics to dig in here. Like yeah. we hit the the biggest one with Battles Without, which is that like so much of it is just like, yeah, the, the US army bases are like fueling mm-hmm. so much of what's happening with Yeah. There's a there's a way that a lot of um like uh, of the stuff that we've covered for the show like like i don't uh, i don't necessarily think that like the battles without movies or or lady snowblood or tokyo drifter are like making points about the us occupation of japan or or japan's role in world war 2 but that is like so clearly like present in the creator's minds that it becomes like this texture, like like, um, uh, in the final moments of Lady Snowblood, um, the the main bad guy like falls over this like railing that has a U.S. flag and a Japanese flag on it, and like covers them both in blood. He takes the Japanese flag down with him. And, like, wraps it around his body as he bleeds out and, like, stains it red. And it, of course, being a, like, white flag with a giant red spot on it. Yes. And I I don't know that there is a, like, single coherent, like, thesis statement that comes out of that image. But it is a very charged image that, like, provides a lot of, like, you know, like... Like... It provides you with, like, space to, like, think about, you know, the occupation and and Japan's, like, role in global politics, you know? Well, I think some of these two, like, these being movies about violence are also interested in Japanese militarism and Uh how that, like, how U.S. occupation is at once something that is, like, uh, preventing some of the militarization of Japan and at other times is, like, meaning that Japan is, like, constantly in a state of, like military because mm-hmm. like we have military occupation mm. um and then you start getting these things of like oh, okay like shouldn't the the japanese people have their own military to then like instead of having it be like the u.s or, mm-hmm. are defending us or whatever mm-hmm. but then that also ties into like discussions that are happening where like fascists of course want to remilitarize mm-hmm. Um, and so I think like some of it is just like a lot of this stuff is being discussed politically. And some of these are just like really focusing in on just like violence and like militarization being now, not just like a, a purely, um, Japanese thing, but because of what happened with the war and because of the U S occupation is now a thing that is like the U S and Japan are intertwined in what does like Japanese violence and militarism mean? Yeah. Um, so, and I I think also like, um, some of this too, with, uh, Lady Snowblood in particular, like we haven't gone to too much detail about the plot, but like she was born, like her mother had her to get revenge against the men who killed her husband and then raped her. Mm -hmm. Um, and part of the U S occupation meant like the sexual abuse and rape of Japanese women. Mm. Um, which also included, like, this is my own completely separate tangent on this stuff, but, um, 
like the history of the sexu- sexualization of young women in Japan is at like this point extremely intertwined with the U.S. Army base and the fetishization of young Japanese women. Yeah. In the way where the Japanese government legalized like very young prostitution mm-hmm. to try to like avert rape cases being reported being like well let's like legalize another route for these like u.s soldiers to, mm-hmm. to be able to have sex mm-hmm. um and so my whole tension is whenever there are like conversations around like oh like anime stuff with like young women and and people are just like oh that's just japan like japan's gross i'm like this is like japan Japanese animation, like anime does this because they know that Westerners are watching it and they Mm. believe that Westerners want to see sexualized young women. Yeah. Because there's a long history of Westerners wanting sexualized young Japanese women. Yeah. uh, Yeah. In like far more serious context. And like, and like, I'll put a warning at the beginning of this that we're going to talk about some of this stuff because I I know it's like the the thing with like Lady Snowblood, right? Is that it's like the, the like blood staining the pure white snow and like, the the pure white snow is like her virginity, you know, yeah. and like she is stained from birth. She can never be like the pure virginal like thing because she is stained by by this rape and this quest for revenge before she is even born. Yeah, a- and the the quest for revenge ends as she throws a guy over a balcony and he grabs onto an American and a Japanese flag and drags them both down with him. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I said five minutes ago that I don't think this is making a like single thesis statement, but maybe it is, and maybe yeah. I just needed a little more talking to like find it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. This is also the reason why, whenever people bring that up, I'm like, it is a U.S. problem. Like, we can't just like hand wave this away yeah. in anime. Yeah. Um, and like a lot of Japanese stuff. Like, yeah. The U.S. occupied Japan. You can't just talk about like the sexualization of Japanese women without. Mm-hmm. contending with that in some way yeah so um i that's a thing that i just get very annoyed with with being a fan of anime is how often people will be like oh yeah anime is just gross you just don't watch some of them and i'm like i yes like don't watch the gross ones but also mm-hmm. like we can't just hand the wave this away as like, like we are americans here. yes yeah, yeah that is, yeah. It, it is extremely gross to say it's a japanese problem yes especially as an american <laughs> <laughs> it's in general it is but especially as an american yeah because uh, I don't know if you've looked at American society, uh, a lot of sexualization of young women here as well. <laughs> um, we that is like fucked. not an appropriate thing for me to laugh at, but that was just like my yeah. response. Anyway, we have questions. Okay. Uh, Sorry for going on a rant about that. But... No, you're fine. You're fine. Um, it was good. Um, I have a question, real quick. Okay. For you, which is just that, like, um. I was like looking at like um remind me of his name again, Fukusaku. Yeah. Fukusaku. I, I was like looking at his Wikipedia page the other day and was just like, oh, he directed a bunch of like really well known movies. I was gonna ask you because you mentioned like, oh, don't watch Graveyards with, without Graveyards of Honor without me, because you wanted you wanted us to watch it together. What is that movie? Like what is like is it like a zombie movie about Yakuza or something? Um, no, it so it was originally one that he did and then Mike did. And so part of it is that I just think it would be fun for us to like watch both of them. Um, but no, it's not a zombie movie. Um, it's just like a, another Yakuza movie that I forget. No, this was, this was, um, Matari Tetsuya. I was trying to remember who the 
uh, main character that was, but, um, yeah, it's another, it's another one that's kind of like in this Jedi hmm. thing. Okay. And I, I think it's particularly interesting because it's one where we're going to talk about Mike later. Mm-hmm. Um, and like his stuff, but I think it is, it is also interesting to like watch the original that is just kind of this Jedi Geki thing. And then, or not Jidai Geki, I keep saying that, Jitsuroku thing. Um, that kind of is just Jitsuroku. Um, and then go and watch Mike. And then be like, okay, how's Mike doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, so. And that's just one that I think would be fun. I, I've just watched so many Yakuza movies that sometimes I'm like, I just want to watch that one with you. And then I can like... <laughs> Then I can like be there to be like, let me like provide more context. Yeah, that's also part of what we're doing on this podcast. Yeah, totally. I want to like give you a framework of, and listeners like a framework of how to think about these things, Um, because I think it's very easy to just like group all crime movie together, Hmm. and I think like how crime movies evolve and like how the how those like tropes change and how like people are thinking about those are really interesting. And so like part of, there's just a part of me that's like annoyed when people are like, Oh yeah. Like uh red peony gambler and like, you know, like a uh, Sonatine or something like that's all the same stuff. I'm like, no, they're like commenting on different things. <laughs> <laughs> I know some of it is I'm just too deep into this genre. But you are. I'm, you really I'm are. very deep into the genre. But I want to share that knowledge. I like telling people about things. Yeah. So I have a podcast. That's why I have two podcasts. We have two questions from M to start us off. We have four questions overall. Um. <laughs> I don't remember these questions. I um, saw them. Uh, because we put out a call for questions about Japanese movies from 1973. So M asks, Belladonna of Sadness is great, even though it's thoroughly unpleasant. What are your favorite movies that you like, despite them being kind of miserable throughout, not in a way where you're, like, subverting that? So don't say, like, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, I have an, I have an answer for this. Yeah. Les Miserables is pretty miserable throughout. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> The thing I always think about when I think of that movie is the 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 Onion headline that was like uh, Russell Crowe praised for his performance of Cop Who Cannot Sing. <laughs> um, I feel like I have a bunch of these and they're not coming to my mind, so I'm gonna scroll my letterbox yeah, real quick and I... I'm gonna probably scroll down to like 1990 <laughs> and see what happens. The the first one, I mean, some of this is. We're talking about 70s Japanese movies. Mm-hmm. But um, In the Realm of the Senses, I think, is kind of one of this for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it, it's a, like, movie that, ha- it's essentially a porno. There's unsimulated sex in it. And it's mostly that. And it, like, I guess spoilers for In the Realm of the Senses does involve uh, the woman killing the man at the end because it's, like, what they enjoy. This is like, you know, the sex that they enjoy. And it's like the, the culmination of his fantasy. Um, and then she does cut off his penis. And then uh-huh. I, I think puts it inside of her. Okay. 
So, and it's just an unpleasant movie to watch, really. Mm. Um, and yet, I still just thoroughly enjoy it. Um, so I haven't seen it since it came out, so I don't know if this movie holds up. I would be interested in revisiting a lot of Reffin stuff, like Nicholas Winding Reffin stuff, because I watched a lot of his movies after Drive, and I remember liking a lot of them, but my taste has changed so much that I just don't know anymore. Yeah. Anyway, um, I remember really liking Only God Forgives. I thought that movie was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, That movie is unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. It is Boring and slow and gross. <laughs> um, I remember liking it then. I remember liking it though. But also, I've just watched a lot of very unpleasant movies in a way where I'm like, "No, nah, it's all right." Well, yeah, you also have to understand that, like, I like I was a much younger person then. Yeah. Like, I don't think I'd seen Antichrist yet. Antichrist is still in my head my benchmark for like wildly unpleasant movie that I just yeah. don't think I like. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's the thing. Often it's, I don't like it when it gets too unpleasant for me. Um, I, I have not seen Antichrist, but another movie by Mm -hmm. Von Trier, um, Breaking the Waves. Mm -hmm. I fucking hate that movie so much. I despise that movie. I was okay with that movie. It was, it was bad and uncomfortable. The ending of it though, um, was just like, I, this is. Like, this is just stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, Another one I remembered. One, okay, two things, because I scrolled down to the 70s here. I like a bunch of Sam Peckinpah movies. Sam Peckinpah movies, like, make me feel icky, because I think that Sam Peckinpah is probably, like, a really gross person, just based on the movies he makes. Yeah. <laughs> but I do really like his movies. Um, and the other thing that came to mind... Um, I remember really liking Santa Sangre, which is a Jodorowsky movie. Um, obviously, like, Jodorowsky, like, turbo canceled. I'm not telling you to go watch any of his movies. I, I think he's, like, a gross person who does not deserve to be working in, um, like, movies anymore. Yeah. Um, uh,. And also, and also, I think El Topo is genuinely one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. I fucking hate El Topo. I fucking hate that movie. It's fucking dog shit. Yeah. But I remember really liking Santa Sangre, and that's like a movie that's like pretty gross. But yeah. I, I, I remember enjoying that one. So, um, I've not seen it in a really long time. Um, but Sweet Movie might be this. Do you know mm-hmm. Sweet Movie? No, I'm not familiar. Um. I mean, like, so one, it's a movie that, like, there's a lot of stuff that it, it's, like, commenting on with, like, because um, this is this is a, um, like, co-production that involved, like, West Germany. It was a Yugoslavian director um, and is, I think, in many ways, like, commenting, like, it's called Sweet Movie because there's these, like, very... Um, over the top and like gross scenes involving like sweets, like chocolate and candy and stuff, mm-hmm. um, as part of it. And I think some of it is like commenting on like the, the extreme excesses of like capitalism, mm-hmm. um, like that, that like people have access to these, uh, extreme, um, 
excesses, but it like it's also a movie that uh uses actual footage of the like unearthing of the like cotine graves. Mm. Um so you just like see actual like corpses at one Ugh. point and stuff. Um in a way where like I remember getting stuff out of it, but at the same time there are some there things there where I'm just like, man, I feel like I would need to like revisit it and be like, mm, I don't know how much some of this stuff is gonna when you're like including actual dead bodies on film. Yeah. There's just like something, there's something there where it's, it's hard for me. Yeah. Um, um, M goes on to ask, you have to take someone who is currently working in movies and elevate them to true movie stardom. Like they used to have like, like mega super like Tom Hanks type star, you know, or like George Clooney, George Clooney. Yeah. Our benchmark. Yeah. Um, who are you? Who are you turning into? Like the last great tentpole, like actor or actress, um, who's like a a big current person. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm having a hard time with this one because I don't watch a lot of current stuff. Yeah. Um, and also like I don't like like hardly any leading men these days. Um, I'm trying to think of like actresses that like jump out to me. I mean, like, the French Dispatch had a really loaded cast of, like, people who are currently working. Um, I think think Benicio Del Toro as, like, the biggest movie star in the world is a very funny concept. Um, um, Francis McDormand is too old for that, but, um, you know, if I could turn, if I could turn back time... And, like, make Frances McDormand... I, I actually don't think I would do that, because I think one of the things that I like about her is that she only shows up in good movies. And I think... Um, being, like, a, a super big movie star in that way, it, you, you, ha- you end up having some, like, clunkers under your belt. You have to have, like, a good batting average, but you do end up having, like, some bad ones mixed in there. <laughs> yeah. Um... I'm, I'm like, cause part of it for me, like, I feel like there's like a certain amount to which like for this to work for me, at least I need that, like that, like charmy, like we were talking about Sugawara Bunta and how he will like kind of glance up at the camera and like do a little smirky smile for like a second and then just like go back to stoic face Mm -hmm. and it's just like incredibly charming um and he's not even like at the this level of stardom that we're talking about but like i feel like for like the star for me Mm -hmm. like needs to have that kind of just like charisma Uh, in the way that some of the actors that i like right now i don't think quite have that charisma so my brain did go to Oscar Isaac just because yes. I think he has yes. that quality. I when I first saw Inside Lewin Davis, I thought that he was going to become this. Yeah, I and think, I think that it just doesn't exist anymore. I think it doesn't but I think exist. he could. I think he could have been like an. an yeah, know. in a different era, I think he could have been. I think I kind of think Star Wars like derailed his and a lot of people's careers a little bit. Yeah. Not like oh my gosh, poor Oscar Isaac. He's never going to get a role again after. Um, that's not what I'm saying. I just mean that, like, Star Wars, like, was such a debacle 
that like no one likes those movies and like he is sort of like inextricably tied to them at least for the next couple years maybe in a few years he's got a couple other like big things under his belt and we've all like forgotten about how bad star wars got but like for right now i think that's i think he's in that boat and similarly i think john boyega yeah i think john boyega like absolutely if he was like 10 years younger could have been the most famous person in the entire world. I mean, he kind of still is because he was in yeah. fucking Star Wars, but like, it's not the same now. <laughs> this is an interesting thing of like those like sequel that sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. That could have been like a thing that could have created this if just like the conditions were right, but they extremely weren't. They just made bad movies. Yeah, and and the. <laughs> But, like, I feel like they could, t- could like, create this, like, return of that star more yes. than, like, the MCU machine could. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those movies are, like, I think more driven by, like, actors playing, like, characters rather than, like, actors playing, like, media franchises. Yeah. You know? There, there is a greater investment in the existing character. Yeah. And, like, be- having that existing character be able to, like persist than like fully buoying a person as like that character yeah whereas like star wars is like okay like in the way that like han solo is just harrison ford Mm -hmm. like let's just like make poe dameron be oscar isaac yeah like we don't need to like have the character exist as independent of the person yeah and then you know you make the Now I'm imagining the Oscar Isaac version of, like, the fugitive Air Force One yeah. Blade Runner. <laughs> like, like Oscar Isaac just having this sort of, like, weird up-and-down career that Harrison Ford had is very funny. Yeah. <laughs> Oscar Isaac, the, the, the big difference between Oscar Isaac and Harrison Ford is that Harrison Ford does not, has never cared Ever. Yeah. <laughs> and Oscar Isaac seems to care, like, a, a, a seemingly a healthy amount. He yeah. cares a little too much, but not so much that you're like, man, you gotta chill. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, um, sometimes Harrison Ford's like, you could care a little more, dude. Please. Please, just... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't kill my wife. <laughs> um... um... Do you want the question from Joe or the question from Crystal next? Uh, I opened Twitter just kind of on gut instinct, so we're getting the question from Joe. Uh, sorry, Crystal, you are the only one who followed the rules, and you're being punished by going last. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I have said if you follow me unlocked, you have the the privilege of not having the email. But there is also I haven't said that. I didn't I say have. that. I, I didn't have. say that. You... Zhuo is replying to a tweet. This is not within the rules. Yeah. Zhuo, you know better. I also said that you DM me. <laughs> if you DM me. And I also did say that there's a, a higher chance that I would forget about it. Anyway. But M still followed the rules as I laid them out. Um, Which CBS or WB sitcom should be remade as a Japanese horror movie from 1973? Um, Big Bang Theory. I'm just like so like CBS sitcoms. Uh, I okay. I I don't actually think it should be Big Bang Theory. I'm just like thinking like Big Bang Theory, How I Met Your Mother, um, like 
Oh, Frasier, if you want to go a little older. Um, Cheers. Uh, let's just say, like, multi-camera sitcoms. Like, let's just, like, not worry too much about, like, where they're aired. Yeah. And just, like, do the multi-camera ones, you know? Yeah. Um. Now, was this multi-camera? Taxi? <laughs> taxi. Now, that's, like, going back. That's, oh, like, going back. That's going back to started in the 70s. But also, Japanese horror film version of Taxi... I would be eating that shit up. <laughs> okay, so I I have not seen the original film that inspired the series, but if we were going back like that, MASH is an obvious answer. <laughs> yeah. MASH, as a Japanese horror movie, writes itself. <laughs> um, I really I'm, like MASH. I'm trying to think of, like, modern ones. Um, Emily definitely, like... Although they're not, like two camera anymore yeah no one no one does multi. no one does the multi-camera like yeah no one makes how i bet your mother anymore yeah there there's just not the same where it's just like here's like the set where there's the two cameras set up and it's just always the same angle yeah um because yeah like my brain first went to like blackish but like that is not Mm-hmm. The same style in it. I, it's like the equivalent mm. today, I feel like. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, um, but they, they just don't make them the same. No. And I kind of, I kind of want it to be one of the things where there's like the set where the camera is just like in that spot because they just like make these every week, uh-huh. you know? Um, and it's just like, there's the set. Everybody comes in. It's like the same basic angle every single time um you know the two cameras uh for it to be this like horror movie because i just feel like having that like that space oh yeah I would be a good a good part of it yeah um which did as i was talking about it make me think about uh home improvement because <laughs> for some reason that like Two camera setup is just like weirdly ingrained into my brain. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I like I can see yes. the like door into the house. Yes. I can see the door that goes yes. to the garage uh-huh. where Tim Allen's gonna come out, being like whoa, whoa, whoa with like you know yeah. some explosion happened. Um, well, and that has the weird layer of artifice of like I know the so horror vividly... potential of the neighbor whose name I forget right now, who you can never Wilson? see his face, Wilson. Yeah, yeah. I one so I can so clearly see the fucking backyard and the house from Home Improvement, and also Home Improvement has the artifice layer of like then he goes and shoots a TV show, which is exactly like the thing that like the J horror yeah. director needs of yeah. like oh here's the sort of like fake reality that is going to start like leaching into the real reality, yeah you know. Um, you some like you can really get some horror with you don't show. You never see Wilson's face. No. In the movie either. But it becomes terrifying that you never see his face. <laughs> it becomes horrifying that like like what is this faceless being? <laughs> and not that you see his face and he doesn't have a face on there, but just like that like his lack of like being able to see his face becomes somehow like even if he has a face he still becomes faceless. Yeah. Um just some like reflection on like the loss of identity that's occurring and like the 
you know, modern existence. Okay, real quick. So there was a, a recent, I want to say, export where Molly and Crystal sent us really similar questions. No, I think. it was the it was the last stairwells where uh, Nora asked us something about monkeys, about monkeys, and then Crystal sent us something about Planet of the Apes. And so, <laughs> the once again we have a weird thing where Crystal and another person have sent in similar questions despite not like collaborating on this, I don't think. At least since Juo did break the rules and responded to your tweet, Crystal could have seen that tweet. Crystal could have seen that tweet, and his email does, what would each Seinfeld character's favorite Japanese movie from 1973 been? Um, or B. Um, well, now I need to do, like... Here, let me, let me pull up Letterboxd. Can I, like, get Japanese movies specifically yeah. from... Go to films... Um, year uh, 1970s and then 1973 uh, yep you got it and then um filter um I, I think there's a way oh here actually I think it was probably easier if you went and pulled up a Japanese movie like just pull oh up okay a, yeah yeah um Sorry for Snow. the the audio as we do this. I'm just gonna like pull up Lady Snowblood, um, because um, then we can do the country. Yeah, go to what details. I think details. Yeah, Japan, and then I think we can at least sort by 1970s. Oh, and then we can get to 73. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so um, I'm gonna turn off the fade watch trip for right now. Yeah. Um, so, if something like specifically jumps out to you, then um, like feel free to to shout out a specific character. But otherwise, let's like maybe start with Jerry. Yeah. Like, well, we'll I just... mean, like Jerry probably likes Godzilla versus Megalon. I feel like that's a yeah. Like he's know. got his like whole thing about like Superman and whatever. Yeah, totally. So he's like definitely Toku. Yeah, totally. Um, then George. George, <laughs> okay, I, I have not seen a ton of Seinfeld. I have seen some Seinfeld. I have not seen, like, I've seen a little. Uh, I mostly know it through Twitter memes. Would George be weirdly into Belladonna of Sadness? Would that be, like, a surprising George fact that, oh, that's, like, one of his favorite movies? Um, Maybe, but I, I feel, like, some of it could be it's funny that it's, like, Belladonna of Sadness, but I feel like George would be, like, I feel like the vibe would be more George like some like really exploitation-y uh-huh. movie. Um, and then is like defending it. Like I could see the one where George really likes female prisoner scorpion beast stable. And then is like trying to. No, you to... have to understand. Yeah. Um, it's actually about feminism or whatever. <laughs> um, I feel like. There's some other ones here that could really like Yakuza Justice Erotic Code of Honor. We some should of watch these that just, next week. Yeah. Some of these just feel like some uh some ones that I'd really like put on George here. <laughs> um Um How about Elaine? Elaine? Um I'm immediately drawn to Lady Snowblood. 
Um, I just think that she would like go through a bad breakup and just be like, I'm going to watch that movie about like killing dudes to yeah. like let off some steam. Um, I feel like that's, that's probably a good one for Elaine. Either that or like maybe the lone wolf and cub movie, but, um, I feel like she would be more of a fan of specifically the, the U S dub that cuts together the first two movies. Oh. Okay. <laughs> uh, which would not be 73. Yeah. This is this is a joke that's maybe not even playing for you, so... No. Um, And then I think Kramer is the most, like, just, like, has watched a bunch of these, has, like, really in-depth takes on them, Um, is the one who's, like, having the extreme debate with George about, like, no, you don't understand. This is, like, really what the like entirety of the female prisoner scorpion series is about it's like blah 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 um i think would really appreciate belladonna of sadness but mm. i feel like would have a more obscure pick like maybe like um criminal woman killing melody no that was not the one that i thought it was there's a very <laughs> similar poster that i thought that was um but yeah I, f- I feel like that would be the vibe um, <sighs> I could also see it being having the really like advanced uh, takes on a lot of this stuff, and then really liking whatever this panda go panda. That is a uh, Takahata movie, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. <laughs> I've seen that one actually. <laughs> I mean, it looks all fun. right. I've I bet this this feels like Kramer to me. Yeah, has this is... seen all of the other exploitation stuff and has like really complex takes on it that he's getting into, but then is also like you should just go watch Panda Go Panda Rain, Rainy Day Circus. The thing about the Takahata Panda Go Panda stuff is that it is like it is for children like the same age as like your child, you know. Yeah. I, I, and I watched like five minutes. I was like, I, I just don't need to watch a show for three year olds. I just don't. <laughs> but I absolutely could definitely see someone being like, no, oh, no, oh, this is George's favorite movie, uh, Office Lady Diary Poaching. <laughs> um, <laughs> no one on Letterboxd has logged this as seen. Yeah, we could go watch so much Japanese seventies porn. <laughs> I mean, if we can find it. Yeah. Um. Oh, you don't think that Arrow has uh, office lady poaching? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> they will when I'm in charge. Uh, <laughs> the the second to lowest on here. Uh, apartment wife, night of the rape. That Good. sure is a title. Um, so glad to be here. Yeah. Uh. This is like really just the dredges that I'm in now. Yeah. I'm gonna stop looking at this. Wild um, Cop too. Yeah. So it was just called sixty. Uh anyway, we wrapping this up. We're wrapping this the fuck up. Where can people oh wait, we didn't rate stairwells. Um Lady Snowboard's gonna rate pretty low, I think. I think both these Yeah. Are, I think well So the the main one wait, do we not rate the stairs and blow up blow out? Uh, no, we definitely talked about it. I just don't think we t- typed it in because we definitely talked about how much we liked it. Yeah. 
I'll have to go listen to it. We'll have to go listen to it, because I remember us talking about it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, Battles Without, the, I think the main one is the one that, uh, there's, like, the place, I I think in Kure, where, um, like, for a while, mm-hmm. uh, Sugurabunda's characters, and it's probably the, will be part of the cover of this, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's a pretty good shot. Uh, I don't think it's thematically significant, but it does look sick. So yeah. I'm willing to give it like a C for like... Maybe C minus. Yeah, C minus. Kind of creative, c- kind of different, looks really nice. It's only in there for like four seconds. Yeah. Um, Lady Snowblood, going to rate pretty <laughs> darn low. There are a lot of stairs, but you hardly ever actually see them. Yeah. What did we give it when I watched it last year? Uh, let's go see. I mean, obviously, only I weighed in on that, so. Yeah. Um, a TBD. Oh, because we were going to rate it together, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, we are D-ing it now. Um. <laughs> you said that in a weird way. Well, because I was, because it was TBD. Oh. And we are deciding... I thought you meant that we were giving it a D. Well, then I realized because you typed in a D and I was like, yeah, actually, that might be right. Yeah. Okay. Where can people find you online? You can find me at FoxMomNia on Twitter. Um, Also, media underscore pile, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, And go listen to Ghost Divers, my anime podcast. We're currently in the middle of a bunch of Ghosts in the Shell. Right now, um, second gig stuff. So, um, you can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. You can go to all my other. You can go to. You can go to exportodd.io. That takes you to the Patreon page. I said on the export that we recorded last night that I wanted to do a better job of, like, plugging in and actually like, advertising our shows, but it's midnight. I got five hours of sleep. I had to work until 7.30 last night, and then had to be back at 7 this morning. I'm too tired to actually properly plug things, so I would like to be done now. <laughs> um, I will just say, if you do a dollar, you get early access to a bunch of podcasts, including this one. Yeah. As well as, if you heard me mention Cromartie High School earlier and how it relates oh, to yeah. Yakuza stuff, and you're like, that sounds interesting. Um, later this year, in the summer... Uh, Connor and I are going to be launching Pondering Putan, uh, where we read through um, like a chapter or two mostly. Uh, we're trying to like pace it along with how it would have come out in the the uh, weekly um, like magazines, um, and we're gonna we're gonna read like a chapter or two, and we're gonna talk about it, and we're mostly just gonna goof off. Um, it's mostly just gonna be our hangout podcast. Uh, and those ones are going to be early for patrons too. Nice. So, I just like can't figure out a way to, for that to like work with ghost divers. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real.
Bella Lugos is dead. 